This week's broadcasts are sponsored by the Finkelstein family of Petach Tikva, in memory of Avraham ben Hillel Finkelstein and Raphael Yehuda Aryeh ben Israel, whose yard sites fall this week. This is KMTT. Tuesday, Parshat Shavua will be delivered by Rav Alex Israel. Parshat Chukat is such an interesting parsha that it is difficult to choose what to talk about. One almost feels like one is spoilt for choice. We have the parsha of the Para'aduma, the enigmatic uh, parsha which describes how we have a purification process where everybody who comes into contact with the um, red heifer becomes impure, very, very enigmatic. The Parsha continues to the famous episode of Moshe's sin. And as uh, many listeners will know, there is a huge dispute as to what exactly Moshe did wrong. Was it that he uh, hit the rock instead of speaking to it? Or could it possibly be that there are other explanations? In fact, we know that there are countless explanations of this sin. We will revisit these parshiot, but we are going to begin in chapter 21, Perak Chaf Aleph, with a rather lesser known episode, and we're going to try and explain it, first start, raise some questions, and then uh, explain the problems there. Let's begin reading Perak Chaf Aleph. And the Canaanites, specifically the king of Arad, who is in the Negev, who lived in the Negev, heard that Israel were coming, the way of Atarim. They fought Israel and they took a captive, or took many captives. And Israel made a vow and said, If you, God, will deliver this people in our hands, I will destroy their cities. God listened to the voice of Israel. And he delivered the Canaanites into their hands. They destroyed them and their cities. They called the name of the place Chorma. This seems to be a very plain and simple story of a war where Am Yisrael are attacked, prisoners are taken, and how do the Israelites respond? They make a, a vow, they promise that if God helps them, they will destroy the cities of the enemy, and when they... Um, and when they, when they are victorious, that's exactly what they do. Seems like a quite insignificant, inconspicuous story, and we will try and explain what it is. The next parsha, beginning in Pasuk Dalad, the next uh, paragraph reads like this: They went from Horahar, the way of the Yamsuf Lizbov et Eret Edom, to go around. The land of Edom, Vatikzar Nefesh Ambader, the people, um, Katzar, right? Vatikzar, the people were short, 
Baderech, with the way. They had enough of walking, maybe? Um, in the English translation I have in front of me, and the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. And the people cry out to God and to Moshe, Why did you bring us out of Egypt to die in the Midbar? There is no bread, there is no water. And we have had enough of this light bread. God sent the fiery serpents. They bit the people. And many of Israel died. And the people turn around to Moshe and say, We have sinned. We spoke about Hashem. We spoke against you. Please pray to God and he will remove these serpents. And indeed Moshe did. And then what do they do? They put a copper serpent on a nest, on a, on a stick, on a pole. And whoever sees it will live. And that's exactly what they did. I asked Moshe, Moshe made a copper serpent. He put it on a, on, a, on a pole. And anybody looked at the Nachash Nechoshet, they would live. And off they go to their travels. Let us try and uh, explain some of uh, what is going on here. And we're going to take these parashiyot and put them in some sort of context. A few questions here. Are the people once again returning back to the way they've always been, complaining that they want to go to Egypt? Here they say once again their famous cry, Are these yet another series of troubles? Um, second of all, why do the people say, we've had enough of the bread? They say, There is no bread, there is no water. And we've had enough of the lechem haklokel. The lechem hakalkal, this very light bread, in other words, the man. They don't mention it by name. I don't understand. They do have bread. It says, ein lechem ve'imayim, and then they say they do have bread, but they just don't like it. So what's going on here? In order to understand, I think, the dynamic of this particular scene, and even beyond this scene, in order to understand the dynamic of the whole of Parsha Chukat, we're going to begin with our analysis of the war against the king of Arad. And when I look at this war, there is one thing which is very, very blatant. There is something which is striking. What is striking here? Let's see. The Kna'ani the Melech Arad hear that Israel are coming, and... They fight Israel and they take prisoners. Israel and Israel make a vow. They will destroy the enemy. What is striking? What is striking is what is missing here. Or more, more, more better put, who is missing? And the person who is missing is none other than Moshe. As we read this story, we sense a certain stridency, a confidence about Am Israel. Am Israel. He's a different Am Yisrael than we've seen. Here they don't moan and they don't complain. They don't even seek Moshe. They fight a war. They lose the battle. Prisoners are taken. So Israel immediately know what to do. They rely on God. They make a vow to God. 
They said, we're going to war, help us, we will destroy the cities. They go to war, they're victorious, they dedicate the cities to God. This is immaculate, this is beautiful. This works perfectly. And here the people function confidently without Moshe even being present. If we look at the next story, the story that we read about uh, their complaints and the fiery serpents, we will see a similar dynamic. It says, That they are going to circumvent the land of Edom. And it's unfortunate that we don't have the opportunity of a, uh, you know, some sort of visual aids here. If you could take a look at the route that is being taken by the people, you'd understand this whole episode better. But I will read to you some of Rashi's comments. Rashi says that Khan Khazrul Akorehem Sheva Masaot. Here Bene Israel find themselves going back Derechyamsuf. They are retracing their steps by seven different stops, seven journeys, they are retracing their steps. And he he, he proves it from you know certain parallel descriptions. And then he says, The people, their souls or their patience was short with the way. Why? They said, We were so close to coming into the land. Now we're going backwards. This is what our fathers did. Oh, our parents also started retreating and then they got stuck here for 38 years. When I read this story, I begin to understand that we're dealing with a different generation. We're dealing with 38 years later. We're dealing with a generation who are now in the 40th year of the wilderness. This is the group of people who are meant to be going into Eretz Israel. And as I posed before, I asked the question, why are they complaining? They still want to go back to Egypt? Now if you look carefully at the Pesukim, you will see they don't want to go out of Egypt. They just say, why did you bring them out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? In other words, they're saying, they're not saying they want to go back to Egypt. These people were born in the wilderness or they've been raised in the wilderness. They're not interested in going back to Egypt. They say, why did you bring us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness, and this is what they say, Ein lechem mayim. There is no bread and there is no water. We've had enough of this light bread. What do we mean by that? He says, uh, let's look at Rashi. Rashi says, what's the problem with the bread? Why is it called klokel? Uh, which, as I said before, sounds like kal, kal, light, light. He says, because the man is totally absorbed in the body. I guess if the man is so, is God food, it's food from God, then it's full of goodness and it has no waste. I think that's the theory. Um, and if that's true, then there are no waste products to the man. As the Midrash quoted by Rashi says, the Gemara in Yuma, Daf Ayin Hay, 
עציד המן הוא שיתפח במעינו, כולם יש לילוד אישה שמכניס מעינו מושצי. Is there any human being who ingests but does not excrete? In other words, the people are saying in this story, if I can put all of this together, let's imagine what is happening. The people who have been sort of on the border of Eretz Yisrael for 38 years, they've been wondering if we can take the Pesukim at the beginning of Dvarim, they've been wandering around Har Seir, they've been wandering in what's today called the Negev Desert, and uh, possibly they've been encamped most of the time, once in a while they move location. And this is, uh, they're waiting to go into the land of Israel through the same route as their forefathers were meant to. That route that their forefathers were meant to take was to go through the south of the country, uh, to enter through the direction of Beersheba, and to march up to Hebron. In fact, it was the city of Hebron which scared the Muraglim. However, now in the 40th year, God decides that they're going to go a different route. They're going to come in by Jericho, they're going to come in through the eastern side of the country and cross the Jordan. And in order to do this, they have to hike, they have to go and travel through Transjordan, south of the Dead Sea, and come all the way up um, by the north of the, you know, travel the length of the Dead Sea on the other side of the Jordan, so that they can come up um, opposite Jericho. The problem is, as you read at the end of chapter 20, that the kingdom of Edom, who hold the land south of the Dead Sea, uh, won't let them pass, and therefore, um, as we can see here, chapter 21 verse 4 says, they travel from Horahar, Derech Yamsuf back into the desert, because they have to circle, they have to uh, go around the outskirts of the land of Edom. And this takes the nation deeper into the desert than they've been before, further away from civilization than they have been previously. Um, and if this is true, this creates a huge sense of depression. The people know that they're on back on the move. That they're moving and the sense is that the 40 years are up and the time to enter Eretz Israel has come. However, the people are, and the people are very, very excited about this. However, as they move backwards, as they recede deeper into the desert, suddenly people are discouraged. They're despondent. They say, you know, what's the point of all of this? We're waiting for the Lechem. We're waiting for the Mayim of Eretz Yisrael. And uh, I think it's quite fascinating that two types of uh, substances which are stressed in Sefer Dvarim are the Lechem and the Mayim. When you read Sefer Dvarim, we all know the idea of the Achalta v'Savata Oveirachta, that we are meant to bless God, Al Ha'aretz HaTova, and... Uh, the, the idea we learn, the mitzvah of benching from, from this idea. But uh, if, you, if you check this uh, out in the original, um, it tells us exactly. It says, Eretz It's an Eretz Chita There we have grain. There we have wheat and barley. It's a place where you won't have difficulty in finding bread. In the same Perak, it tells us that the land is a good land, Eretz Nachalei Mayim, a land of rivers, Ayanot Utohomot Yotzimbabika Uvahar. It is a place where there are springs coming out in all the hills around. In other words, 
the notion of a natural land is a land which has natural water and natural bread. And that's what the people want. It's not that they're complaining about the gift of the man. They're saying we want normal food. That's what Rashi says. How can we have food where we, we don't excrete, where we ingest and we don't excrete? When they're complaining about the way, they don't say, take us back to Egypt. They say, why are you taking us out of Egypt to, to kill us in the wilderness? We don't want to die in the wilderness. We want to go to Eretz Israel. And I'm going to prove this through one other story in a couple of minutes. Well, how does this relate to the story of the fiery serpents? And here I'd like to focus on the Chizkuni and Rav Shumshur Falhash. The, um, the punishment is fiery serpents. And, and where do these serpents come from? What are these serpents, fiery serpents? Now, the, this is in Pasuk Vav, verse 6, and Hirsch and the Chizkuni both pay attention to the fact that it says, The definite article is used here. The fiery serpents. Not fiery serpents. God sent fiery serpents, but he sent the fiery serpents. As if we know what they are. And the Chizkuni says, It doesn't say he sent serpents, but it says he sent the serpents. Rav Yudan Omer Rav Yudan said in the Midrash, These were the natural um, snakes and scorpions which were in the desert. However, God's protective cloud used to burn them up. And again, according to the Midrash, now that Aharon has deceased, the, there is no protection. We'll deal with that in a second. Um, in other words, the the Nechashim and the Nechashim, these are the serpents or other dangerous animals which live in the desert, and they started attacking the people. Um, let's let's try and think about what Rav Hirsch says in this regard. And Rav Hirsch says again, the same sort of thing. He says, when it says, it doesn't say, Vayishlach Hashem ba'amitan Nechashim asrafim, God sent, but it rather says, Vayishalach. God released. He let them go. And what does it mean he let them go? He says that, um, maybe I'll read a couple of lines from Hirsch, the serpent's bite had the sole purpose of letting the people see the dangers which dog a person steps when he goes through the wilderness, and that it was only the miraculous power of God which had hitherto kept them far from them. So far indeed they did not even have an idea of their existence. One who had to be bitten had to fix the image of a serpent in his mind so he realizes that even when God's gracious power will again keep the serpents at a distance, he will remember the danger is in existence and that God takes um, care of us. In other words, the way the Chizkuni and Rupash are reading this is very simple. I'll put it in a little more uh, popular terms. The people turn round to Moshe and say, we want to go into Israel, we've had enough of the Midbar. We, we want a natural existence, we want bread and water. We want to be like ordinary human beings. It could well be that they got this idea, that they felt this idea, not because they were receding deeper into the desert, but because they'd just actually gone into Eretz Israel to fight the kingdom of Arad, and they'd seen their homes, and they had seen their cities, and they'd got a taste of what it was to be in a normal environment, rather than the miraculous desert camp. And they're saying, we want Israel now. We want it now. 
God turns around to them and says, listen, not yet. While you're still living in the Midbar, you can't have a normal existence. Look, here, I will take away my protection. And he does, and all of the serpents and scorpions come out. However, I would still say that what is amazing here is that God doesn't get angry. And rather than Moses rebuking the people, look how the people respond. Verse 7, And the people came to Moshe and they say, We have sinned because we spoke against God and against you. Please cry out to God, etc. The people offer their repentance. This is a very different generation than the people we saw in, in the parashat of Bahalotcha, Shalach Lecha and Korach. These people, they know how to pray to God. They know how to go to war religiously. Even when they complain, they don't complain to go to Egypt. They complain because they're waiting and anticipating. They're eager to go to Eretz Yisrael. And when they do something wrong, they know exactly to say, Chatanu, we have sinned. And again here, do note that uh, we put, the, we have the story of the copper serpent which is placed up on a pole. And, again, and, and, and it's the Mishnah in Rosh Hashanah which parallels this with another story. The Mishnah says that this is reminiscent of the story of Moshe at the Battle of Amalek. Moshe had to keep his hands in the air at Amalek and when they looked at Moshe's hands they thought of God and they were saved and when they looked and when they when they forgot about when Moshe's hands were down they forgot about God. And they compare this to the story of the copper serpent when they looked up in the sky to the serpent they were looking at God when they looked down then they weren't saved because they weren't with God. But look at the difference between the two. In the story of Amalek, first of all, we were in a situation where we were severely attacked. Here, Vayashbimenushevi, they take a few captives. Doesn't seem like they're even casualties, and we know how to get them back. First of all, we're independent. But second of all, I mentioned before, Moshe is peculiarly absent from the story of the king of Arad. Likewise, the big difference between the copper serpent and Amalek is that Moshe is not holding the copper serpent. Moshe doesn't need to be there. These people have, how should I say it? These people have grown out of Moshe. And it is in this regard that I want to return. We just studied a few lines from chapter 21. I want to return back to chapter 20, and I want to return back to 19, and try and explain. Parshat Chukat, Perak Chaf, chapter 20 is a parsha in which we see the infrastructure of the Midbar falling away. If you look at chapter 20, chapter 20 begins in the following way. Let's take a look here. It says here, They come to Midbar Tzin. In the first month, we don't know of which year. Look in the Ibn Ezra. The Ibn Ezra says, We are in the 40th year that we have not even received any information for the last 38 years. For the last 38 years, the people have been uh, excommunicated. They've been incommunicado. They haven't been able to be spoken to by God. Uh, after all the sins of the beginning of Bamidbar, the Miraglim Korah, God cut off any sort of contact till now. But what happens now? Miriam dies. After Miriam dies, we have the famous story of Moshe and the rock. And now Moshe and Aharon are condemned 
Now we know that Moshe and Aharon will not be leading the people into Eretz Yisrael. And if you look um, at the next story, the next story at the end of Perakhaf, well, there's a story about the kingdom of Edom, but after that we see Aharon dying. Miriam dies, Aharon dies, and now we have a new Kohen Gadol from the younger generation. Moshe is not leading them into Eretz Yisrael. Chazal take it even further and they say that with Miriam's death, why do they have a crisis of water? Because Miriam, um, through her tremendous merit, Miriam gave us a miraculous well which accompanied us for 40 years, but with Miriam's demise, the well goes away. Likewise, with Aharon's demise, when Aharon dies, the protective clouds go away. Well, look what we're seeing. Both if we take the pshat, Aharon is dead, Miriam is dead, Moshe's term is coming to an end. If we take Chazal, the Be'er, the miraculous water well is gone, the clouds of glory are gone. The whole infrastructure of the Midbar is slowly being dismantled. And the people understand that. I would say again, I mentioned before, that the nation are not seeking Egypt. They're yearning for Eretz Yisrael. Let me give you yet a further example. When the people don't have water, in the Perek Chaf Pasuk Dalad, they say, Why did you bring us into the wilderness so that we should die there? Once again, they don't ask that to go down to Egypt. They just say, why did you bring us out of Egypt if you were going to take us to this bad place? And now look what they say. This is not a place where there's water, but it's also not a place of seed. And they mention three uh, fruits. Now, if you look at these three fruits, the figs, the grapes and the rimonim, um, we know them from another place. They come in the story of the Muraglim. In the story of the Muraglim, if you remember, the Muraglim bring back, bring back fruits, and the famous one is they cut down a whole um, vine, and they bring a huge eshkol anavim echad, but then it says they also bring mina rimonim or mina te'inin. You can check it up in chapter 13, verse 23. They bring Three things. They bring grapes, figs, and pomegranates. Now, what this tells me here is that the people are interested in going into the land. They're saying, why did you bring us into this wilderness? This isn't a place of pomegranates and figs and and grapes. In other words, we want to go to a place with pomegranates, figs, and grapes. We want to go into Eretz Israel. And as I said in my opening comments, um, this is a nation who are more strident. This is a nation who are confident. This is a nation who, when they do complain, they're not complaining because they want to return to Egypt. They want to go to Eretz Israel. And all of this revolves around the fact that we are now in the 40th year. As I say, the Ibn Ezra comments that um, there was no Dibor, there was no communication for 38 years. All the stories in Bamibar relate to one of two periods. The first five parashiyot, Bamidbar, Naso, Bahalot, Chashelach, Chakorach, relate to the second year of the Midbar, the year after the Exodus, while we're waiting to go into Eretz Yisrael. That mission into Eretz Yisrael was a failure. It bombed out. It failed. And now, in Chukat, Balak, Pinchas, Matot, Masay, 
In the last five parashiot, we are seeing the second attempt, the second journey to Eretz Israel, the second march to Eretz Israel. And as I say, this is a fabulously different uh, generation who have a very, very different mindset. Um, there is a famous idea which I will mention to you that the thing which separates year two of the Midbar with year 40 of the Midbar, the set thing which celebrates, sorry, the thing which separates the generation of those who came out, the generation of the Exodus who came out of Egypt with the generation of those people who entered the land, the separation point is chapter 19. And chapter 19 is the Parsha of Para Aduma. And after all, what is Para Aduma, the red heifer? The red heifer is an idea that um, how do we get purification from the dead? Now, if you've been following Ashirim, you will realize that clearly a parsha of purification from the dead fits much better into Sefer Vayikra. Sefer Vayikra covers issues of Tuman Tahara, of access to the Migdash, and therefore why would the Torah not bring the story of the Paraduma, the um, story of purification from from uh, Tumah of the dead? It should be in Sefer Vayikra. But Rav Yol Nun explained something wonderful, and he said that chapter 19, actually, what's it about? It's about how to purify you purify from the dead what were the people doing for 38 years they were simply dying and now in Parashat Chukat we purify ourselves from the death we purify ourselves um, and we leave behind the dying generation of the Midbar the people who have died in the Midbar who were not worthy of entering the land and here we have a younger new generation many of whom were born not in captivity but in freedom were born not under the slavery of Pharaoh, but under service to Hashem. And they know exactly how to say, Chatanu, we have sinned. They know exactly how to fight a religious war. And these people, I think through Parsha Chukat, we can understand that this group of people are indeed worthy of going into Eretz Yisrael. So, um, what I've tried to describe here is the is the manner in which Parsha Chukat transcribes the character of the people of the 40th year. They're just waiting to go in with bated breath, and when they see themselves taking a few steps back from the land, they say, whoa, wait, hold on, we can't go this way, we need to go into the land. Um, the story of the Nechashim HaSrafim is where God is telling them, listen, you just have to hold on a little bit longer, just hold on a little bit more, in a few short months, a few short weeks, we will be massing again on a different border of Eretz Yisrael, ready to enter into the promised land. Thank you very much, and Shabbat Shalom.